Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Jana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College, and together we co-founded The Learning Scientists. We apply cognitive psychology to education for students, teachers, and parents. So recently we started this podcast, and what we've been doing is that every month we dig into a different effective learning strategy based on the literature from cognitive psychology showing that these strategies are effective. And so we've covered three so far. We've talked about space practice, which involves spacing out studying over time. We've talked about retrieval practice, which involves bringing information to mind from memory rather than just looking at information and restudying it. And then most recently, we talked about elaboration, which involves adding details to the memories that we've already created. Today, we're going to talk about interleaving and we're going to describe what interleaving is situations where it works, we know that it works well in educational settings, and some other situations where we're not quite sure and we actually need more research. Interleaving is a funny term. It's kind of jargon. And so it might be best to explain exactly what it is and maybe use some more colloquial words to describe it. Yeah, so interleaving is just taking the ideas that you're trying to learn and mixing them up or switching between different ideas. So rather than studying one thing for a long time, you take a bunch of different things that are related to one another and mix them up or jumble them up. So for example, if you're trying to do different math problems, rather than doing lots and lots of problems with exactly the same type of formula, you might switch between different problems that require different formulas. And we actually, while we were in England um, over this past summer, in the summer of 2017, we visited with a bunch of children at the Samuel Ward Academy and the kids were, um, they ranged what, from nine? All the way through to 18. Nine-year-olds to 18-year-olds. And one of the students who I think was 12 at the time, um, we had asked the students, you know, how do you study? And we were just sort of asking them for information. And before we had even mentioned any of these strategies, one of the boys who was 12, Fergus, raised his hand and said, well, when I'm studying, like if I'm trying to learn how to say different directions in German, like go left, go right, go straight, I don't just practice one thing in order. I jumble them up. So sometimes I do go left, go right, go straight. And then sometimes I say go straight, go left, go right. And I keep jumbling it up. And we really loved this term jumble it up because it describes what interleaving is in regular terms so that anyone can understand what it means. It's a it's actually a way better term than interleaving. Yeah, so in the literature, interleaving is typically contrasted with something called blocking, or sometimes it's called massing, confusingly. And so what that would be is doing a whole block of very similar examples or studying the same concept and lots of concrete examples of one particular idea versus interleaving, which would involve going back and forth from different but related things. We should point out that we're not talking about jumping around between different subjects every few minutes. There is research showing that that is not a particularly useful strategy. Yeah, so you don't want to study math for two minutes and then switch to studying history for two minutes and then psychology for two minutes and then English for two minutes and then back to math. That would be too much switching and across ideas that are way too different. So why is interleaving useful? Why does it work? What does it help students to do? 
There are various theories and lots of research to distinguish between them, but one of the leading theories is that interleaving allows students to distinguish between different concepts and ideas, and also between different strategies that they might be using to answer different kinds of questions. If you think about it, if you answer lots and lots of questions that have a similar basis or involve a similar idea or similar concept, all in a row, you kind of get into this rhythm where you're just answering in the same way for all of the different questions. And so it might seem like you got it, but actually, if you were then suddenly thrown a different question from a different set of ideas or a different problem solving uh, type, then you might not know how to solve it because you've just done 10 of one and then you suddenly have this different one. But if you're interleaving, you're going back and forth between different types of examples and you're actually having to think about what strategy to use in each case. Yeah, so the idea is that it doesn't just teach you how to solve a specific problem, but also when to apply strategies. So you're learning when to apply the strategy and then also how to use the strategy, which really is the situation that you're faced with on exams or even in life. Life doesn't say, okay, here's one of these fraction addition problems, get ready to use this particular strategy. It just sort of comes at you and you have to know what the strategy is and how to execute it. I feel like we should probably give a concrete example, don't you think? Yes, why don't you tell the story about your daughter because it is one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I love this story too and she's so cute. She is pretty cute. Well, I'm biased, but she's five years old and I've actually brought her to give lectures on interleaving and had her right there while I told the story. And she loves it. I love it. Hopefully the audience love it. So here's how interleaving played out with us. My poor daughter, she knows all about these strategies. I talk about them at home all the time and I encourage her to use them. And so one day when she was about four, she asked me if she could do some math problems because she really enjoys or enjoyed it back then when she was four doing these mental arithmetic problems. But it would be kind of tedious me having to give her them, you know, two plus two, three plus three, five minus two. So what I decided to do was buy her a little book where she could do the exercises herself. And if you know how these types of practice workbooks are arranged, you might know that they tend to be blocked and not interleaved. And what I mean by that is that you'll open the page and on the first page, there might be lots and lots and lots of, in this case, addition problems. So there was, you know, as I mentioned, three plus two, two plus five, everything under 10, because she, she's only little. But then on the next page, there were all these different problems that were subtraction problems. Again, very simple ones, five minus three, seven minus two, etc. And so I think what children expected to do is one page at a time and then maybe take a break or the next day they'll do the next page. And this really seems similar to what you might see in say a fourth grade classroom where you give students worksheets out of a workbook to do either in class or as homework. It's a bunch of problems that are really similar and they just do a bunch of them in a row. Yeah, so in this case though, I said to my daughter, okay, what I want you to do is interleave. I want you to do one or two problems from one page and then switch and do one or two problems from the other page and keep going back and forth. And of course, you know, at first her reaction was, why? Why can't I just do this one page? And I said, look, it's really important. It's interleaving, you've got to do it. It's a strategy, it's very effective. And she was like, okay, fine. But what I didn't point out to her was that on one page she had addition and on the other page she had subtraction. I just said, go ahead and switch between the two. And so she you know, spent a while filling out these two pages and she was very pleased at herself. She gave them to me to take a look at and I took a look and she'd done the addition really, really well. And then I looked at the subtraction and you might guess what happened here 
because she's not discriminating between the two, what she ended up doing was that she actually added all of the subtraction problems. So it would say five minus three and she would write eight because evidently she didn't notice that one page was subtraction, the other was addition. She kind of skipped over that symbol. So she got in a habit of just adding and wasn't able to then determine which strategy do I use in which situation. She probably, if you had said add these, subtract these, she would have been fine, but she wasn't able to notice herself. That's what interleaving is good for. Yeah, she's perfectly capable of subtracting, but she didn't realize that's what she was supposed to do. So I got very excited by this and I said, oh, look, you know, this is really great. You made a mistake here and it's because of interleaving and now you'll learn that you should be paying attention to the symbol. And of course, she got really, really upset because turns out four-year-olds don't really like being told that they've made a mistake and maybe I need to work on my feedback a little bit more. But I was getting really excited that she had demonstrated the power of interleaving. And I, I notified her that, you know, over here, you were supposed to subtract. And she got very angry about this. And she said, I tricked her, that it wasn't fair. And then all of a sudden, she got this sly look on her face and she grabbed a pencil, the pencil that she was using, and then she crossed through all of the minus sign symbols and made them pluses and said well now it's correct and i think that's really ingenious because it shows that now she truly does know the difference between the two symbols she was able to change the symbol to make it correct i think i think that's great i think it's great too and unfortunately when our children go and take real tests when the parents are not allowed not around to think that it's very cute then they will need to actually use the correct strategy. I guess, yeah, on a standardized test, changing the question probably isn't, isn't allowed. I think of this anecdote as a really great demonstration of the importance of interleaving. Because in this case, switching between the two, had she noticed that she was supposed to use a stra different strategy, would have strengthened her ability to pick the right strategy depending on what the problem was in front of her. So we mentioned that Inter with interleaving, we know when it works in some situations and that some scenarios are good for educational settings and some are maybe not as great for educational settings. Not that they're not important, it's just not the same as talking about classroom learning. And we also mentioned that there are areas where we really do need more research on interleaving. So um, we're going to tell you a little bit about about the research on interleaving and sort of the history and why we've said this. Because interleaving is one of the six strategies for effective learning and it was identified by cognitive psychologists as having a lot of evidence to demonstrate its effectiveness. But a lot of that evidence comes from the motor learning literature and comes from learning music or sports. And all of these things are not necessarily bad. It's good to learn motor tasks. We need to learn how to tie our shoes. Sports are a positive thing. Music learning is definitely a positive, but it's not the same as talking about how we should be switching between ideas within a classroom setting. There's a lot on math learning, but not as much in other domains. So, Yana, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history and the motor learning and music learning. We'll get into the math learning, and then we can identify areas where we really don't know the answer to when should we interleave. Yeah, so early research on interleaving was really focused on figuring out how people learn motor skills. And so the basic tasks used in these experiments might involve simply people tapping out a sequence on a keyboard or on some buttons. 
and then looking at interleaving versus blocking by seeing whether people get faster and more accurate on these motor sequences when they are repeating the same sequence over and over again or switching between the different sequences. And what was typically found was that during the learning phase, so when people were actually practicing these motor sequences, they would do more poorly when they were having to switch between the different sequences. But when they then came back, maybe a day or a week later, and were tested in these motor sequences, those who had been blocking and had been getting them all right during learning, now could not remember how to do them or were doing them much more slowly. Whereas those who had been interleaving during learning now were able to do them faster and better than the people who were blocking because that practice, that variable practice, got them to a much more durable learning, even though they were performing less well during learning. And this finding was then echoed in the math literature. So in a classic study from 2007, Doug Rohrer looked at, I believe it was fourth grade students in a math classroom. And what he had them do was he had them learn how to solve different formulas for how to calculate various things about a solid. So how many angles it has, how many sides it has, how many planes it has. So each one of those had a different formula that the students had to learn and then apply to different shapes. And in one group, the students would practice over and over again the same formula but with different shapes, and then they would move on to the next formula. That was the blocked group. But in the interleaved group, the students actually were practicing all of the different formulas interleaved together. So they would get the angle formula, they would get the faces formula, and they would have to figure out how to use it on each of the shapes. So you can imagine that's a much more difficult task during learning. And those students who were doing it that way were performing less well during learning. Yeah, the results of this are so cool because it shows that the group that's interleaving is getting, what, like 80, 81% across practice, whereas the group that's blocking is at, up at 100% across practice. So if you stopped there, you might say, well, look, blocking leads to better performance. The students are making mistakes during the interleaving condition. The blocked students are mastering, or it seems like they're mastering it. And yeah, if we stopped there, it would look like blocking is better. But but <laughs> what happens a day later? So yeah, a day later, the students came back and they were given the task where they had to solve the different formulas. And what happened was that the students who had been blocking saw a massive drop in their performance. So I, as Megan was saying, I think they were at... 100% by the end of study. They were at 100% and the next day they went down to, I think it was 38%. I think it was. So it's incredible, this drop. However, the people who were interleaving, they were at, I think, 81% during study. And then when they came back a day later, they were basically right there. They were at 78%. So that now they were performing you know, twice as well as the students who had been demonstrating supposed mastery during the block practice. And this shows an, an important an important aspect of learning just because something produces high performance initially doesn't mean that the students are learning it in a way that makes it longer lasting and durable over time so sometimes making sure that the students are up at 100 percent during practice isn't the best way to go about it retrieval practice is this way too where repeated reading makes you feel like you're learning it really well and you comprehend it and retrieval practice when you're doing that initially isn't perfect. You're not able to recall everything. But in the long run, it leads to more durable, more flexible learning. And that's what interleaving does as well. 
I came across a really interesting study today, actually, as I was kind of getting ready for this podcast. It's a simulation where they had a machine learning task, and we don't have to go into the details here. But what was really interesting was that they were trying to figure out why it is that interleaving helps. And what they found was that interleaving problems actually provided this machine learning task with better opportunities to detect errors and to correct them. And so that might be one of the reasons why interleaving is useful is that when students are trying to use different strategies on these different problems, they can realize and get feedback on why something is working correctly and why it's not. Whereas if you're just doing the same thing over and over again, you might just get in the habit of getting it right and then you won't have those errors that can be detected and then corrected. And actually... So what do you mean by machine learning? Like if you were just to describe it in one sentence, basically, what is what, what do you mean? Is it just teaching the machine? Exactly. So instead of it being participants who are human who are doing the task, there is an algorithm that is going through the task and trying to learn how to do problems. And then once it gets it makes a mistake, it receives feedback. And so what they found was that there were more mistakes that could be corrected when interleaving was involved. So the idea behind machine learning really is to use the machine so that you can look and see exactly where mistakes are being made and make inferences about cause and effect. And then you would actually then go do the study with live participants to make sure that it plays out with humans. That's how the application would go? Yeah, exactly. So you might compare what the predictions are from the machine learning to what actually happens in the classroom and see whether the model that you've put into the machine or the algorithm mimics what the students are doing. And actually, we have a real-life example of that. So Brian Penfound, who teaches math, future math teachers, has been using interleaving in his classroom, and he has also been able to identify that what happens when he uses interleaving is that there are more errors that the students are making that then he can dig into and explain why it is that they're using the wrong formula or applying it in the wrong kind of way. It sounds sort of similar to some of the earlier levels within the lab to classroom model where we're doing we're doing experiments initially that are not exactly what you would get in education but it helps us determine cause and effect and then when you actually do get to the classroom you have a better idea And for those listeners who aren't sure what the lab to classroom model is, we do talk about that in our very first podcast. So you can go back and check that one out. And we'll link to that in the podcast show notes. So earlier, Megan mentioned music, and I just wanted to touch on that. So for those of us who ever tried to learn a musical instrument, we know that practicing is very important, obviously. But how do we know what exactly to practice and when? So our tendency when we practice might be to repeat the same difficult passage over and over again to get it to the point where we can play it really well. And that might have some benefits. However, what's been shown to be more effective is actually switching between different difficult passages in order to learn them all not just over and over and over again, but being able to flexibly switch between them. And what's interesting, though, is that when students are practicing, they predict that they're going to do better when they're blocking, but actually they're going to do better when they're interleaving. And again, this mirrors what we find in retrieval practice. Yeah, that makes sense. I played trumpet for, gosh, nine years, I think. I was never super good at it, but I did play from fourth grade until senior year of high school. And I remember kind of practicing scales over and over again and thinking I was doing great, but then... And you could, you know, take a little chunk of music, and if I was having a really hard time with it, I would, you know, practice it over and over to try and get the hang of it. And I would think, okay, now I certainly have it down pat. And that would help a little bit, but then later on I sort of had to keep doing that. And so music learning is 
music learning was really hard for me. So teachers at this point might be thinking, okay, that's a lot of different information, but how do I actually use interleaving in the classroom? Should I start interleaving different concepts that I'm teaching? That might sound a little bit overwhelming. And actually the advice that we would have is to start very, very simple and think about trying to interleave homeworks. And so what that would involve is simply, instead of giving students a homework that gives them practice just on the material they've been studying that week, you could interleave different problems or different questions, if this is not a math or some kind of subject where they're problem solving, right into that homework. And so there's two benefits to that. First of all, the students will be switching between different ideas or problems, and that will be the interleaving piece that we're talking about today. The other part of that is that if you're bringing in concept from previous weeks, then you're essentially creating space practice at the same time as interleaving. And honestly, in reality, in the classroom, it's very difficult to disentangle what's the benefit of interleaving and what's the benefit of spacing. Because if you're interleaving material from the past, you're automatically spacing. So then you kind of get both benefits happening at the same time. Oh, and so often when I talk to teachers, they often ask, well, what? how much interleaving should we do? How often should we switch? What are the topics that we can actually interleave? You know, sure, for math, but how far do we go? We can interleave the different pieces, you know, the different formulas we use for fractions. So adding and subtracting, multiplying and dividing. But should we interleave um, fraction problem solving with geometric shape solving? How, how much do we do? And Yana, I know you've done a lot of looking into this. And so why don't you tell us? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is that we don't know, but I would love to know. So my colleague, Dr. Sophie Forster and I, recently submitted a grant proposal to look at exactly that, to try to figure out what is the ideal similarity between the different things that are interleaved. We know from research that it doesn't make any sense to interleave completely different things. As we mentioned before, interleaving math with Spanish isn't going to be particularly helpful. However, what level of similarity should be interleaved? As Megan said, should it be, you know, fractions and then geometry, or should it be adding and then multiplying fractions? What is the level that works? And how does that interact with students' knowledge or developmentally at what stage they are in their learning? So we're trying to look at all these things and we're really hoping this grant gets funded so that we can examine that. One of the other things that Dr. Forster and I are really interested in is what interleaving does in terms of students' attention. Because if you think about it, if students are switching between different things, on the one hand, that might be bad because that sounds like multitasking. And we know from the literature that multitasking does not work. We're not able to switch between things instantly. So there are some costs to that. However, with interleaving, we're not literally switching every few seconds. So on the flip side, it could be helping attention because it could keep, keep students engaged rather than having them do many, many problems in a row where they kind of get bored and start thinking about something else or what we call mind wandering. Maybe interleaving is partially effective because it gets students' attention each time a new different kind of problem shows up and they have to think about what strategy to use. So these are all just hypotheses that we have that we really want to explore. And so this is all just to say that while cognitive psychology really does know a lot and we can give a, a lot of recommendations about what works and what doesn't work and we have 
a century of, of research to pull upon. It doesn't mean that every single question has been answered. And it's really important, at least for Yana and I, to talk with teachers to create this bi-directional communication so that we can learn what questions are going to be useful for teachers in practice, what we should be doing in our lab, using that lab to classroom model, so that we're really all working together to try and improve education. Basically, the recommendation that we can give in that we don't know exactly the answer to how much to interleave and what to interleave is to think about what we know so far in terms of the cause and effect. So right now we know that interleaving helps you discriminate between different problems. So like with um, Yana's daughter, it helps us to figure out when to add versus when to subtract and how to notice the the two different types of problems, even if we know how to do the specific procedure for both when to apply that strategy, how to notice that we're supposed to use a specific strategy. So if you have you know, certain ideas that you're trying to teach your students where they really do need to be able to discriminate between them and tell when to use one or when to use another like you would in math or other problem-solving domains, then certainly that's probably an area where you want to use interleaving, perhaps even using foreign language vocabulary or coming up with different grammar structures, going back and forth between talking in the present tense in the past tense if you're teaching a foreign language. Those are things that you would want to interleave because those are things you're going to need to be able to discriminate. The difference maybe even between World War I and World War II, we don't know for sure if that would work. We need the research to, we need the research to know for sure. But ideally, if on an exam, the students are going to need to be able to compare and contrast World War I and World War II, perhaps interleaving there can be, can be a good idea. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, there's, of course, lots of uh, negative views about teaching to the test. But if you think about the test as being just life. So how are students going to be expected to use this knowledge later on in life? And if they're not going to be expected to distinguish between different things in this particular domain, then maybe you don't need to interleave. But if you care about the students being able to distinguish between different concepts and ideas, then interleaving could be a really good thing. For example, I want my students to know the difference between a within subjects design where participants in a study are doing multiple conditions, each participant, or between subjects design, where participants in a study are put in different groups. I want them to understand this. And so in order to have them understand that, it would be better if I could interleave different examples of studies, sometimes between subjects, sometimes within subjects. If I just blocked them all and had lots of within subject studies and lots of between subject studies, I think my students would have a harder time understanding which was which. So to summarize, interleaving is switching between ideas or jumbling them up so that you're going back and forth compared to blocking, which is just doing one thing and over and over for a long time. Interleaving tends to work well if we're learning motor skills, if we're learning in music, and it also works in math learning or other problem-solving domains. And we think it should work really anytime when the students need to discriminate between different types of problems. But of course, even though we know a lot about interleaving, there are a lot of open questions. So thanks for listening and make sure to keep your eye out over the next couple of weeks for our bite-sized research episode on interleaving. And if you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It really does help other people who are interested in this topic find our podcast so they can also learn about the science of learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust.